It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 710 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Another great show lined up for you today. My guest is David Sill. David is head of sales enablement at Discover Org. He's got a big job. They've been doing a lot of acquisitions, so a lot of interesting things to talk about. So what we're going to talk about today is how and why to build a culture of trust in a sales organization. And we're going to talk about how to use this trust to drive the growth and development of the sellers on your team. And we're going to talk about why personal and professional development is really a joint responsibility of both the organization and the individual. And David will share his views on what it takes to motivate individual sellers to make that investment in themselves, to identify the next level in their careers, and find the path to reach it. Now, before we get to David, I want to take a quick second to talk about the sales house. It is Sales Growth Accelerator program for B2B sellers. So if you're not completely satisfied with the current trajectory of your sales career, then the sales house is where you need to be. This is the resource to help you reach the next level in your career, as well as the level above that. Members get unlimited access to our checklists, our playbooks, our courses, coaching, mentoring, as well as an engaged community to help you sell with more confidence, more trust, more acumen, and greater impact. It's all designed from the beginning to help you succeed in winning more deals because our motto in the sales house is learn more equals earn more. So remember that, learn more equals earn more. So come learn more and become the best version of you in the sales house. Visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash join and we'll see you there. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, David Sill. David, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Great to see you again. Uh, well, for our audio audience, I'm actually, <laughs> I am looking at David while we do this. <laughs> our opposite sides of the country. Um, so, and as we record this, he's in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is going crazy because they just signed Bryce Harper to a contract there in the Philadelphia Phillies. So, but you had said you're not much of a baseball fan. Well, it's more that I'm a Pittsburgh guy, so uh, Pittsburgh did that to me. Uh, life, so uh, I pretty much stick to uh, basketball, football, and hockey now. Okay, so do you like take a terrible towel with you everywhere you go? Uh, you know, you, you, you're born that way, you stay that way, you don't switch. So yeah, sort of. <laughs> All right, uh, do I see that peeking out of your coat there? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> all right. Well. I don't want to delve too much into into sports here, but um, we're going to talk a little bit about sales enablement and uh, certain aspects of it. And um, I guess we're going to talk about culture and trust. I think that's that's uh, a good topic to get into because that's certainly a part of of enablement. Is is at least in my mind is you know, are you creating a culture of learning within an organization that inspires people to take not only what the company gives them but also invest on their own to you know, continue their own development. And it seems like there's this, I don't know, it's a gap. I mean, I, I see a gap. I see companies sort of paying lip service to development of their individuals and then individuals saying, well, if the company's not going to invest in me, why would I invest in myself? Yeah, I, I think is it, there's kind of a like a chain of causation, Andy, I would say when it comes to, um, you know, you have to, 
you have to try things, right? It, to, to be a seller, you have to be willing to try things. And, and to try things, you have to be okay with failing. And to be okay with failing, you have to be around people that you trust. And so if that trusting culture isn't there, then it sort of shuts the doors for all the things that occur when that trust is there mm-hmm. in terms of being okay, being vulnerable. It reminds me of, I took a, um, an elective in undergrad for uh, comedy improv mm-hmm. just because, you know, it just was a time and day of the week that I needed a class and whatever <laughs> it fulfilled the requirement. You know how you do. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and I remember very distinctly that we got there that first day and the whole, everybody in the class kind of had this like, Oh shit moment where it was like, what did we sign up for? Like, we're going to, this is going to be embarrassing every single week. We're going to be embarrassed in front of everybody. We're going to be vulnerable. Yeah. Why did I do this? And, and, and then because, you know, necessity forces your hand sometimes, and that's good. Uh, everybody just had to go put their hand in the middle and say, all right, well, we're all in this together. So I'm not going to look any more stupid than you're going to look. And and we're all going to look stupid every single time. But therein was kind of this pact of trust that said, you know what, we'll just let it all hang out in this class. And, and, and that'll just be what this class is about. And, and so it was a really healthy lesson in what happens when you're just willing to let go and, and be vulnerable and just say, Hey man, I don't care. I'm just going to try stuff. And some of it's going to bomb and some of it's going to work and you know, whatever I'm okay with those consequences. All right. Well, there's a couple things in there. Let's, let's touch on one is, is it seems like let's start trust to serve the more overarching theme here in sales mm-hmm. is yeah, I don't see much of it these days in sales in many organizations, and and I think it's, part, it's driven by several factors. And I think some is the inexperience of managers. Um, some of it is uh, some of the tools and technologies we use. Some of the expectations are set. Where and I don't want to sound like a broken record. People hear this quite a bit on the show, but it, it seems like it's in many organizations, especially the, some of those that are claiming they're setting up sales enablement functions is they prize conformity over everything else, compliance to a process. And this idea of you know, building a trust culture where people can try new things, I don't see that very often. I mean, I, I was fortunate to become up an organization so that you're given that latitude, you're given enough rope perhaps to, to hang yourself. But uh, I don't see that very often these days. And I talk to yeah hundreds of, of companies all the time for this show and others. What's your take on that? I mean, to me, that seems like the biggest abandonment. And, and as a result, I said, I don't see reps really trusting managers. We look at at uh, statistics. I forget whose report it was with Gallup or somebody about you know, primary reasons why salespeople are, leave jobs is their immediate manager. They, you know, they don't feel they're helping to develop them. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I can only speak from my firsthand experience, uh, Andy, and I've been super lucky because I've worked for, you know, I currently work for an organization that uh, we have a, a mantra that, hey, if you're not leaving your comfort zone every single day, if you're not doing something every single day that makes you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. well, then you're not going to grow. And, and, you know, we kind of exist as the like a lot of organizations as the extended shadow of our of our founder, Henry Shuck. Right. And you know, he's, he's a very direct guy and, and, and he, you know, encourages taking risks and, and, and it's okay to mess up. And, you know, you know, we rather see you out there trying to figure out where's that edge that you can play next to, as opposed to just conforming and, and playing it safe, like, like the pack mentality. 
Um, but I think that's hard. I think that I think that if you don't have the the right leadership in place, if you don't have the right immediate boss, then you know it, I think that it's it's hard to kind of come out of your shell that way and 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 take those those personal or, or professional risks. I think that's a part of it. I think the other part of it is, and I, I know that I've heard uh, in in conversations that you and I have had in the past, and and listened to some of the other uh, shows on the podcast, which by the way, I love your podcast. Thank you. Is, I think that in the age of, of, of technology innovation that we live in, we're sort of squashing out some of that willingness because mm-hmm. everything through technology and sales technology specifically, everything has become so cadenced. Everything has become so structured that it would lead someone to believe that, well, if I just have the right tools and I set the tools up the right way, then, you know, that's sort of it. I'm, I, I'm done. That's all I need to do. And so that's just kind of like further uh, inhibits somebody from from maybe, you know, taking a chance uh, and seeing if that trust is there or not. Yeah. And I, so, again, we can take this and split it into a lot of different pieces. But, yeah, I had a conversation with the CRO uh, several months ago where we are talking about growth plans for you know, 2019. And it was all about the process, right? It's We've got... We've got a finely tuned machine at top of funnel. If we just put more inputs in the top of funnel and just follow our process, we're going to grow. And I, and I sort of pushed back and said, well, okay, but by your own admission, you you don't have a very successful close rate. I mean, you're closing like one out of five of your most qualified opportunities. It's a SaaS company. It's not unusual for a SaaS company. So what they do, in my mind, it's not sustainable over a long period of time. But the thought of of breaking free of the process and saying, well, how can I help my sellers to close two out of every five opportunities? And then we'll grow up to three out of every five opportunities. Just didn't exist for that person. And, it's, and, I, and so I see this reflected in management all the time. It's just like, to your point, it's, you know, we've got these tools and they give us a ton of information and we can see how activities lead to certain outcomes and certain ratios, but we don't think about how we improve the ratios. Yeah, yeah, and I think a big part of that, at least in my experience, and 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 something that we try to do at Discover Org is, you know, if leadership goes first, in in kind of showing that attempt, and and mm-hmm. even risking even risking and showing the vulnerability to say, like for instance, we did this um, we did this exercise uh, uh, last month, and and it was just kind of like a two hour call blitz. But I mean, everybody from the CEO uh, to every leader of every department. Uh, you know, customer facing departments. Sure. I mean, everybody just was on the sales floor with a headset on for two hours, banging cold calls. And that's an example of going first where, you know, for sure. I mean, I got hung up on during those two hours and that, <laughs> sure. that's not, that's, that's not a fun thing, but I'll tell you what it is, is. It's a powerful thing because when the SDR that just walked in the door last month sees that, Hey, nobody's above it all. Everybody's in it together, everybody's willing to, you know, pick up that shovel and dig or whatever your metaphor. And, and the idea of kind of saying, Hey, look at that. I got kicked in the teeth and it didn't kill me. I'm still sitting here, still making those calls. And, and so I think that if you kind of encourage through uh, leadership and, and going first and, and, and exposing that vulnerability, then you kind of create that invitation to everybody else that says, it's okay to do that here. In fact, we encourage you to do that here. Yeah, but by the same token, I mean, I would imagine that in perhaps a company like Discover and so on is that, yeah, we've 
you've got your sales process, well-defined sales process, tech stack, activity metrics that people are sort of being measured against. And what I see, and I'm talking to salespeople all the time, is is they feel constrained. Is that they, you know, back to this idea of of risk taking, is that's why I I learned. I mean, I, I again was given the latitude in my career as by various managers and mentors is to try something different, something that aligned more closely with what I thought my strengths were, and and oftentimes it revealed to be the case. Um, yeah, I, I would pay the price if I. Yeah, it was a risk I took because I thought that was the only way I could really, yeah, you know, be true to myself, be true to my strengths, and succeed. But I, I don't back to the statistics why salespeople are leaving and the lack of development opportunities. To me, that's saying, yeah, they're not being given that latitude. I, I think that's that could well be true across a, a large sample size, and and I would say further that you know you commented a, a couple minutes ago on on sort of the the SaaS model where, you know, you, 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 you reach out and you, you bring stuff into the bucket that falls into the bucket. Maybe that's an okay growth plan for, for a lot of organizations just trying to find their way. I think that as you mature mm-hmm. uh, and depending on how sophisticated your, your team and your selling motion becomes, then you're always going to be looking for where's that next level of conversion. And so that's, you know, at a certain point, I think you, you know, you, you sort of break away from the order-taking end of the spectrum. Hey, Andy's shopping for something like what I'm selling and therefore great. I want to, I want to go get Andy's business first. So tell me where, where those uh, uh, leads are at. I'll prioritize those. I'll win those. Okay, great. If you've got that kind of battened down, then I think there's another tier that's like not so much, you know, the, 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 the buyer that's ready to buy, but the idea of the other end of the spectrum, which is True persuasion, taking mm-hmm. somebody that you know maybe was thinking A until they got the phone call from you, and now they're thinking B, and so you actually created a, a whole tier of wins that that maybe weren't even gettable before because of playing it safe or just following the system or just conforming. Like you're not going to get that next tier of, of 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 leads that you persuaded into wins, right? So how do you how do you Build this this culture of of trust because um, yeah I, you know you've really hit on it to me this is as I think about it it's obviously it starts at the top with with any sort of cultural initiative um, yeah, I wrote earlier this week about the difference between a sales culture and a selling culture yeah and, I saw that. you know we seem like we have a real emphasis on selling culture these days as opposed to a buyer centric sales culture and I think that plays to serve into the trust aspect of it how do you how do you how do you build that? What are the first steps? I mean, what do you? I know you have to. CEO has to be bought into it, but but maybe. And what's what's the steps you take to get your CEO to buy into that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, I I was lucky to have walked into a situation where it wasn't just the the founder and CEO that sort of set the pace for that, but it was also that early cadre of sellers that you know years later are still with the organization still atop the leaderboard. And so just like a really firmly entrenched, uh, you know, group of, uh, you know, original gangsters that, mm. that, that are still getting it done at Discover Org. And so I think that having the right people on the team, you know, there's not, you know, if you're, if you're mired in politics and you're mired in drama, uh, you're not going to ever get there. But if you have good people that are just open and willing to, to teach and, and show the newer folks 
kind of what they've learned and, hey, let me save you some time. You can take six months learning this or I can just lay it out for you right now. And so, you know, something like role play, right? I'm, I'm still a big fan. Mm-hmm. The way I grew up learning sales was, you know, everybody bring your lunch into the uh, conference room and, and we'll, uh, we'll kick the crap out of each other. And, uh, and, you know, we'll get some black eyes, but boy, will we be ready when it's for real uh, on the phone with actual prospects. Mm-hmm. So I think that those are some things, you know, once again, though, it comes back to exactly where we were a couple minutes ago. It's, it's leadership has to give that permission and encourage that trying muscle and, and create forums for that to be the case, a weekly role play, you know, lunch and learns. We have uh, some of the old guard at Discover Org perfectly willing, despite all the success that they've had, they're not, uh, they're not somehow above it all. They'll stay two hours late if they can get in a conference room with a group of new SDRs and, 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 you know, teach them the ropes a little bit. And so it's just this real uh, pervasive learning culture where, you know, there's a, there's a real sense of brotherhood uh, on the team and, and therefore, you know, I, I think it starts with the CEO and, and, and the, uh, and the early leaders. Well, and there's a connection there too, is, which is that, yeah, if if the goal is yeah, I want to enable my sellers to be effective in whatever dimensions you want to you want to measure, is that starts with hiring the right people. And this this idea about looking for values over value or values and character is is for me a, a, an essential one because that's yeah, people talk about you know, sports cliches. You know, we hire the best available athlete, yada yada yada. But I I think it's really underlooked at or underused this idea of saying, okay, well, how do I how do I test for values and character? How do I make sure I get the right people? And to your point, you know, that politics aren't an issue with them, just there to learn and improve, and they feel like they're coming into an environment where that is rewarded. You know, how do yeah. you how do you screen people for that? You know, obviously there's there's uh there's questions that I know that we try to ask. I try to ask uh, candidates in an interview and 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 a lot of the questions that get to that character you know, it's, it's not about asking someone to tell me about their highlight reel. It's, it's asking them to tell me about your like most abysmal failures. Like tell me when some stuff didn't work out. Tell me when, you know, adversity knocked you down. I want to hear what you did. What did you learn? How did you come out of that? What did you do differently after that? And so mm-hmm. uh, I think that if you kind of, you know, take it to the perhaps negative side of the ledger, you're going to, you're going to be able to reveal someone's character a, a lot more accurately uh, you know, in something like an interview process, a lot more accurately than if you know you're just staying on the positive side and asking them about hey all the all the things that have gone great for them and you know their their shiniest moments. Well, I think yeah, I think you have to ask the unexpected questions there that serve as you might there as you, you get examples. Can they show the vulnerability? Can they show they were coachable? Can they you know do they really learn the lesson of it? Uh, something that they wouldn't have practiced before coming in. Yeah. Yeah. You got to hit them with something they didn't expect. And then, and I think another big piece in all this, Andy, is, is just the, you know, most problems, I think I would say, you know, work in the workplace, outside the workplace, you know, with prospects, with customers, most failures end up being failures of communication. Right. And so if you buy that idea and and I do very much, then then I think that you, you really have to watch the kind of communication within the company and, you know, like discover org because everybody's just so blunt and, and direct with one another, it's, it's not a big deal for us to sort of call bullshit on one another, mm-hmm. you know, like, like for instance, most sellers would say that they're pretty good at listening, 
but they're not. They're horrible at listening. They're 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 in the advice giving business. They're in the waiting to talk next whenever the other person shuts up business. But they're not in the listening business. And similarly, if I take a group of managers, most managers think, "Oh, I'm pretty good at coaching." It's like, "Well, no, you're not good at coaching. You're good at moralizing. You're good at you're good at warning. You know, you're good at directing. You're you're good at jumping too quickly to the advice piece of it." Right. But, but so so I think that I think that it takes an honest bunch to kind of just call bullshit on one another and, 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 you know, at the same time, not take yourselves too seriously, you know, move and advance and grow, but like, you know, kind of get over yourself a little bit too. Yeah. So if sort of sales manager listening to this or a frontline sales manager, let's even say it's thinking, okay, well, that sounds good. How do I, <laughs> maybe I don't have the CEO enrolled, but is that something I can implement, you know, within my team? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of resources out there, right? So I happen to ha- I happen to have a, a next door neighbor who is a psychiatrist, and so uh, him and I are talking at a at a birthday party, and he starts telling me about this um, yeah, this motivational interviewing technique that is kind of the de facto standard for you know behavioral psychologists and behavioral uh, uh, therapy, mm-hmm. and 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 so he suggested this book, and I start reading this book, and sure enough, it's a, it's a layup. For sales, like anybody that's uh, that's in sales needs to learn about motivational interviewing because it's the stuff that we're talking about. It's pay attention to yourself as a listener and and show the person on the other side that you get them and that you understand what they're trying to share with you and and that you can repeat it back to them and that you're not you know you can resist the urge to just jump on the advice giving side of things. Mm-hmm. You can you can just be quiet for a while and be the listener. And that's a real powerful thing with prospects, with customers, with coworkers. What's the name of the book? It's it's called Motivational Interviewing, and oh. uh, the author's last name, I believe, is Miller. But it's the if you just if you just go on Amazon, Motivational Interviewing, it's the it, it's like the Bible of of cognitive behavioral therapists. So it'll be the first book that pops up. All right, it's on my list. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. It, it, <sighs> So for saying, you know, the topic is how do we enable our sellers to become more effective is, you know, you've identified several key things. One is got to build an environment of trust, and which is absolutely true, which to me is leading into we have to buy and build an environment of risk-taking, and that's okay. I mean, some people call that acceptance of failure or, you know, fast-failing or whatever. To me, it's it's risk-taking. I mean, you can't do these other things unless you you because the object of taking a risk is not to fail quickly it's to learn quickly um the result may be a failure you'll learn from a failure maybe a partial success but so risk taking um yeah i get always come back to this sort of ideas that development or enablement is really a shared responsibility between the individual and the the organization and you know i see in the work that i do that it's it's hard to get people to invest their time, invest their money because you know they sort of think the company should do it. And we sort of have to, as an industry, as a profession, sort of say, look, that's just not going to happen, right? To the extent that that it should happen, companies just don't invest that time. I've pushed the wet noodle up the hill on this for years. Um, and I think we somehow we have to sort of train our sellers to, you know, if you enter this profession, if you're going to work for us in our organization, we're going to set an expectation that you're investing some of your time and effort and possibly even money to, maybe we'll subsidize some of that, to grow on your own, 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and, and the folks out there that are internally motivated, they'll they'll take right to that. Uh, I don't love it as a strategy across a, a large group uh, of sellers or of anyone else, because in my experience, it's 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 rarer to be internally motivated uh, than to not be. And, and therefore, mm. I wouldn't want to put all my eggs in, in that basket. Um, you know, so so we're talking about this this permission to fail and i think that's kind of like the you know that's the sexy way to dress it up you know permission to fail what what we're really saying is that i need you to try i i need those attempts you know okay yes it's okay to fail mm -hmm. sometimes you'll succeed but if i if i reduce it down to to the lowest common denominator what i'm really saying is i need you to deliberately practice i need you to get to the gym and i need you to get to the gym often to deliberately practice. And mm -hmm. that's something that at Discover Org, when we, you know, we only launched our enablement function uh, at the beginning of 2018. This was after uh, we did an acquisition in the summer of 17 mm -hmm. and the team got to a size where we kind of said, okay, it's, it's, we, we better start taking enablement uh, seriously and, 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 and really care about that and, and, and take care of that function. So it's still pretty new, but one of the, one of the early learnings uh, that I came upon in trying to build it was, if it's it's hard and and unnatural for a successful group of sellers to think that going to the gym and training is an important part of it. Like Discover Org is, is a company that's been successful for a long while here, and so you can get accustomed to getting by on your talent and and your success and the scoreboard mm -hmm. says you're doing a good job. But once again, where's that next level then? Well, that next level has to come from trying some things differently, which is to say, trying some things at all, practicing, deliberately practicing. So that's the, mm -hmm. that's kind of the drum that I've been beating, um, uh, to the, to the team and, and everybody's kind of bought in, but you know, in a busy day, just like it's easy for a sales manager to, to agree in the abstract that more coaching is a good thing, but then what's the first thing that they don't do in a busy day? Well, they don't do coaching mm -hmm. because, well, I'm over here with my important numbers or, you know, I'm trying to hit my month and, you know, I'm not belittling those things. I'm just saying that any old excuse will, will do if, if I'm looking to say, oh, I didn't quite get to the, to the coaching today. So I think the same thing is true in a busy environment in a hard charging sales team. It's super easy to kind of give yourself an excuse for why you didn't have time to get to the gym and practice today. And yet I think that that's the, that's the sine qua non of, of finding that next level. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a culture of trust. It's, it's open communication and vulnerability, and it's a kind of beating the stick on, on deliberate practice. Okay. So you may win the award for first Latin phrase used on the show. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, so let me ask a question. So in your organization, how are managers incentivized and how are they measured for developing the capabilities of the individuals that they report that report to them? Uh, well, we're working on that. That's not, uh, I'd be lying to you if I said that that was nailed down. I think our, our, our best practice today suggests that, you know, if you take a look at sales enablement, you can't really prove causation, but you can prove correlation. And so mm -hmm. sure. we have, you know, we, we've purchased a number of, of tools, enablement tools in our tech stack. And, and for each one of those tools, we have like a, a, a number of behaviors that we're trying to model and encourage. 
And so we measure different activities to see if this or that seller, or, you know, when I say sales, it's also our, our, our account managers, mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. customer success team, retention, upsell, the whole, the whole group, um, anybody that's revenue facing, we, we measure them based on, are they using these tools that we believe correlate with higher win rates, higher average selling prices, and, and these desirable outcomes for the business? And we're hoping that those that are willing and active participants in these enablement behaviors will, in fact, achieve the business outcomes that are going to make them more money, going to help the company to grow faster. So, so that's really that's really how we're trying to do it, both at the in management level and and the enablement function. Our learning and development function is a piece of that. Our product marketing team is a part of that. It kind of traverses a number of functions, but when it all shakes out. What we're trying to do is say, hey, if you do these things of enablement, that's going to correlate with you being a more successful version of yourself. And, and that's, that's kind of how we're, how we're drawing it up. So to that end, is, is then do the individual sellers on, on your team, and again, I'm not picking on you, just you happen to be sitting here, is um, do they each have a development plan, an individual development plan? So they know, hey, over the course of calendar 2019, this is where I started. This is where I want to be. And these are the, the tools. This is the things I need to learn, the way I need to be educated to get me from here to there. Uh, yes-ish. Uh, there's, there's, <laughs> there, there, there's kind of two different flavors of it, right? So, so let me lay them both down. Um, the first is at, at Discover Org, we try to be pretty conscientious and, and we continue to improve and, and iterate on this idea of mapping the career trajectory and, and the career possibilities. So if I come in the door as an inbound SDR, then what's sort of the benchmark for when I get to a chance to be an outbound SDR? And then if I'm an outbound SDR, about how long does it typically take for me to earn the ability to become an account executive? Mm-hmm. Account executive, well, right, I'm on the SMB team. What, what, what's it like to be one of those enterprise guys? And and, and what, what kind of milestones do I have to hit? So, so I think that we're doing a better and better job uh, every, uh, every quarter, every year at sort of laying out the, um, the roles and the trajectories and, and all the different, you know, like the decision tree of, you know, we have a lot sure. of people that, hey, I come in on the sales side, but then I actually find that I, I like dealing with existing customers. So I might flip over to there or, you know, there's lots of uh, transition, right? But, but I think that the duty that we first try to, uh, satisfy is mapping out what that can look like because everybody wants to feel themselves improving and progressing and and everybody wants to be able to have this palatable sense of my career is continually better off I'm getting somewhere um, so that's one thing yeah. the other the completely uh, a different way of, of coming at that is as it relates to everybody and having an individual plan is we try to take a look at well what are the what are like the important buckets of learning, right? And mm-hmm. so if I'm a seller, okay, well, number one, I, I probably have to be pretty good at discovery. And that's both asking questions as well as being an active listener. Um, I probably have to be, you know, I have to have some kind of negotiation game. Uh, I probably have to have some skills as a storyteller in, in kind of casting vision and, and narrative. And so we kind of take these big areas of learning and we try to put stuff out there as a, as an enablement team, as a product marketing team, as a learning and development team, we try to put 
content and training and coaching out there that allows folks to kind of gravitate towards, you know, within a prescribed realm of choice, what's interesting to you? If you're somebody that's already a whiz at math, all right, well then maybe you might find some of the negotiation stuff aboard, but boy, you know, you could stand to tell a better story. And so I would gravitate towards that versus somebody else might be, uh, Hey man, I was an English major. I'm pretty good at telling stories, but my math is, is pretty weak. And so I might gravitate towards that negotiation. And so there's this kind of this realm of, of uh, prescribed choice. And, and that then becomes kind of the development plan at an individual level. So you have kind of the role-based stuff and then you kind of have the subject matter based mm-hmm. uh, considerations. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what I sort of see is, is that, which you're further along than many companies in this is, is what's missing still though, is some sort of, maybe it's annual assessment, but on the way to assess where I stand in these critical skills and get people committed to specific learning activities, whether it's through internally provided content or externally to just sort of fill those gaps. It's correlation based, right? That we don't have a lot of data on the effectiveness of anything in sales, really, (laughs) which is unfortunate, but, um, but where I see companies that are succeeding is they get very – it's not just a career path. So it may – in parallel with that career path we're defined for you, which, you know, the opportunities are really based on your achievements, is this combination of achievement and learning. I mean, I see salespeople – it's like take this conundrum we always hear about, uh, you know, top sellers that aren't going to be good managers. Yeah. For me, when I look at that, this is what I see is that people just aren't learning what they need to learn to become a good manager. It's not that they can't be, is is that they sort of think by virtue of having achieved a certain quantity of things or a certain level in sales that somehow now they're qualified for that next. And it's like, yeah, we don't we don't pair the the achievement with the education. Yeah. I mean that's the default though, right? That's that's mm-hmm. kind of I, I think that at least in my experience, that's how most companies seem to do it. Um, our push uh within the last year is we feel that the leverage in the equation is at the manager level. And mm-hmm. so, and, and, and it's not through bad intention. So, so if I, if I take a look at us, you know, everybody's, everybody's running fast and running hard and, and everybody's busy and you're trying to get a lot of stuff done and competing priorities and all this and that. Um, so, but we were kind of saying to our, our management uh, levels of management managers and directors on the sales and customer success side, we were kind of, you know, not exactly pounding our fist on the table and saying, do more coaching, do more coaching, but we were encouraging doing more coaching. But then it dawned upon us that, well, we never really taught anybody how to coach somebody. So, mm-hmm. so once again, even, you know, just like the guy that, or, or gal that achieves sales success, that's not necessarily who you give the manager opportunity to. Similarly, you know, to just say, go forth and coach and, and not show someone how to coach, you're bound to just have people vomiting advice all over the place and being like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm this great coach. So, so we've kind of been gotten very serious recently about let's have a methodology around how we coach people. And let's first start with our, our layer of, of leaders and let's teach our leaders how to be great coaches, because only if we kind of take, you know, that, that's the other thing with enablement at, at discover org is that we very much champion this idea, this, this sort of grassroots idea that says it can't just be, you know, some folks that wear an enablement hat telling everybody how to get better. It has to come from, it has to come from the people that everybody wants to emulate. It has mm. to come from 
the top sellers and the, the top uh, uh, folks at, at, at renewing existing business, like that's who everybody wants to be when they grow up. And so we all have to sort of be sort of ambassadors of this idea of, 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 of self-development and, and, and improvement. And, um, you know, but, but the point is, through no bad intention, did we want bad coaching happening? It's just that we never really thought, oh, wait a second, we never taught anybody how to coach. Maybe we better double back for that. But I, I think, you know, sort of the train the trainer model, if you empower that, that leadership cadre, that's where I think you can get a lot done in a scalable way uh, around some of these behaviors that we're talking about. I don't think it can ever just emanate from like a training or enablement function. I don't think there'll be buy-in. Yeah. Well, several, several points on, on that. Cause it's to me, you know, yeah. Great. You teach people how to coach. Maybe if we have time. We'll come back and talk about that. Cause I think in general in sales, we, we inaccurately define what coaching is and what it should be. And, but it really starts with to a point you alluded to earlier, which is, and this is part of a cultural thing, is managers believe that, you know, a relative sense of a ranking of importance, yeah, coaching, development, serve, you know, if I have time, I get to it. And and so I run a, a book club program with with companies, you know, we sit and talk with them, prescribe a list of 10 books they should read over 12 months, and we do some guided conversations and so on. And in selling this program, the biggest pushback we get is from sales managers saying, well, we don't have time for that. And it's like, oh, really? Because what I stipulate is if you, want me to, if you want me to help you with this, is you have to commit to setting aside 20 minutes every day. In the day, all work stops. We're just going to learn during that 20 minutes. And managers are horrified. <gasps> I can't do that. And it's like, okay, well, let's look at the math. Your reps are only spending 30% of their time interacting with the prospects anyway. Yeah, that, that number has been consistent for decades. And, and I get people pitching to come on this show all the time to talk about how they're going to break that. We're going to get more time for the reps to sell. And it just never changes, right? So, of course, you have time. You have time. And just think of the message that sends to your, your sales team. We say, look, this is so important. We're going, to take, we're going to stop activity for 20 minutes, and we're all going to sit down. And we're going to read for 15 minutes. We're going to journal about what to reflect on what we just read. Over the course of a year, you know, the sales team reads 10 books they would never have read. And they're, you know, X amount smarter about the profession they're in and the way they interact with buyers and build relationships, all those things. So, to me, that's, this is one thing culturally has to be set up is that you have time. You have time. You may not feel like you do, but you have time. And it has to be prioritized to do that. Um, the other thing which we talk about with coaching is, is – so much of coaching these days, and this is, again, the definition part of it, is coaching is deal coaching, opportunity coaching. And so I encourage companies to look at three ways, not as you've got managing, coaching, mentoring. So manage the process. Coach the opportunities, mentor the people. And very oh. simple way to look at it. And yeah, so okay. you know, I think if more companies sort of embrace this, this sort of paradigm – is you'd find that, yeah, we're really not doing much mentoring of our people. We're doing the coaching. We're doing the deal opportunity coaching because yeah. as managers, as your point earlier, we love to give advice, right? This is what you should be doing as opposed to saying, well, how can I help this person reach the next level? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that where my head goes, first of all, I love that, that reflection piece. That's the, I believe, at least as, a, as an individual learner, 
my best learning moments come when I sort of take a step back from everything, look at some notes, you know, from the past mm-hmm. week or sort of reflect, you know, they kind of say, well, what am I better doing? Am I better taking like five more demos as an account exec or am I better, you know, taking those couple of hours that five demos would have consumed and, and kind of cordon that off for reflection and learning. Mm-hmm. And I think there's research that, that shows pretty convincingly that it's the latter approach that's going to lead to breakthroughs, you know? Yeah, that's how but you integrate what, that, that knowledge. Into, right. yeah. yeah, so you have, you, have to, you have to take that time uh, and you have to reflect. And then also in the, in the sort of the coaching mentoring uh, aspect of it, I feel like what you really need to do is, is, is you know, it's that whole teach a man to fish, right? You, you need to help them help themselves. So it's not about giving out the advice and, and having the answer as much as encouraging, having sort of a methodology for encouraging self-reflection and critical thought. Well, what do you think you should do? What do you think the problem is, Andy? Well, exactly. do you have any, you have any suggestions on you know, how you might get out of this jam? Okay, great. You give, come back to me with three of those and then tell me which one you think is the best alternative and tell me why. And it's just like, you, you, so you're trying to make a you know, you're trying to teach them something that they can use all the time to be self-reliant and self-correcting as opposed to you don't want to encourage this dependency of like, hey, everybody pops out of their chair and, and goes and asks for the answer. Like, that's not scalable. No, I mean, the manager is not always the smartest person in the room. And <laughs> the sooner you acknowledge that, the better. And it's really what you're describing, or I believe with the mentoring process, it's, yeah, you're, yeah, you're sort of being a a psychologist, you know, I'm sure in motivational interviewing, we'll find this is that yeah. you're, you're leading people to discover and define the problem and suggest the solutions that, that would work with them. So you're you know, really uncovering what the problem is. And then to your right point is, well, what do you, what do you think? You know, what would you do in this situation? As well, opposed you, you, to being this, again, trying to show yourself to be the smartest person in the room. Well, here's the kick in the head there is if not to turn this into like a, a promo for that book, motivational interviewing, <laughs> but the, the, the great thing about it is that you, you start reading this thing and you realize, wait a minute, the way that we deal with each other internally, this is no different. It's the same exact way that we need to deal with prospective customers uh, of ours. Oh, we, need sure. to, we need to, we need to, you know, hear, we need to be a good listener. We need to understand what their challenges are uh, in, in their role. And, and then we need to kind of show how we can help solve them, solve those challenges. But the, the whole book, Motivational Interviewing, it's about moving people off of this ambivalence. Because most people, when it comes to ambivalence, it's like, well, I think of some reasons to make a change. Then I think of some reasons not to make a change. Then I just get tired of thinking and I walk away from the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like the, the, the whole, it, it's a textbook for moving people away from ambivalence. So it's, a, it's, a, it's as applicable internally a, a, as it is externally. Yeah, and it gives me, yeah, for people that want to look, it's uh, by William R. Miller, Motivational Interviewing, yeah. Helping People Change. Um, and I think a good companion book people should look at is a book that the title has coaching, but it's really about mentoring. It's a book called The Coaching Habit. By oh, yeah. Michael Bungay Stanier. Michael Bungay yeah. Stanier. That's the one we're reading, yeah. That's a great book and extremely jealous of the fact it's such a good book. Um, right. and, 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 he, and he says you don't even need 20 minutes a day. You only need 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but, for, but as a manager, I mean yeah. – he lays out a recipe for how you engage and how you work, walk through this process. I haven't read motivational interviewing. It sounds like it probably has similar content. Pretty similar. And um, yeah, if you're a manager and you're thinking, okay, how do I really coach? I'm going to call it mentoring because to me, I, I want you to 
separate coaching into your your opportunity coaching. It's valuable. You want to do it, uh, but you should use some of the same techniques when you do opportunity coaching as you do with development mentoring. Is it gives you a recipe, a step by step recipe with you know great rationalization or rational rationale for why you should do it and why it works. So, um, yeah, go buy those books if you're a frontline manager. Yeah, they're very good. All right. Well, we sort of run out of time, but we could keep on going on this for forever, but it's been fascinating. And, um, yeah, tell folks how they can get in touch with you. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, Andy, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, you can check us out at, at www.discoverorg.com. And uh, got lots of folks that would uh, love to jump into a conversation with you and, and hear about uh, what some of your challenges are with, with data and with prioritizing your selling day and figuring out who to go after and, and how best to go after them. And that's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of purists in that we're providers as well as practitioners ourselves. Mm-hmm. And therefore I think there's a real authenticity to how we kind of come at it and how we're willing to share what we've learned and, you know, the punches in the face that we've taken and, and kind of how we've responded. Excellent. Good. Yeah. I mean, we've had, uh, yeah, I guess you're now president, Katie Bullard, on the show. We talked about the research you guys did with Steve Martin, which was a great a great report as well. If people want to go back and listen to that episode, because uh, I referenced that that research report quite often because I thought it was very insightful. So, all right, well, David, thanks a lot, and we'll look forward to talking again soon. Take care, Andy. All right. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. Also, want to thank my desk. My guest, David Sill. That's easy for me to say. Be sure to join me again next week as my guest will be Stacy Brown Randall. She's the author of a book titled Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. And Stacy and I are going to be talking about how to generate new leads through referrals and why Stacy believes that if you are asking for referrals, you're doing something wrong. So you know, make sure you check that out with us next week. Before you go, don't forget, check out the Sales House. That's your all-in-one sales growth accelerator for B2B sellers just like you. Visit thesaleshouse.com. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.